What's up, Daniel? How are you doing today? Hey, Justin, I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for asking. And you? Well, I'm doing really good, actually. Um, I've done so many stuff in college, tried a lot of different stuff, and uh, being in college is definitely a really interesting, I guess, chapter in my life. And I don't know about you. Like, what was your college experience like? I've, I don't, I haven't, I, I haven't finished my college experience. I graduated with a master's of education last year in December, and I plan to continue my studies. But in the meantime, I'm working. And my college experience itself has been positive. I have struggled, just like anyone else, with accessibility issues, but because I'm in the field of special education, my professors have always had a positive um, outlook in, in my abilities as a student, and they were, were aware of what, I, what they needed to do to provide accessibility for me throughout their courses. Yeah, that is definitely a big uh, thing during college for all, I guess, blind or visually impaired people, uh, finding the right accessibility or being making stuff accessible for us is definitely a thing that we always look out for during college that people don't really notice. And uh, for me personally, uh, I feel like making textbooks was the thing that was really a pain in the butt, <laughs> like making it accessible. Uh, how? What about you? Like, what was one thing that really was a thing that really drove you a little bit mad? Regarding textbooks, I started obtaining my own books since middle school. Since then, my teachers and my parents told me, when you're in college, no one's going to look for your textbooks. You need to find them yourself. So... I learned how to communicate with libraries, whether they were for the blind or publishers. So that was simplified by the time I went to college. Um, and even then when textbooks were not available, I would work with my professor to you know, scan the chapters before, before the week was, was coming up when, when I, when I was going to need that chapter. So that was, easier for, for me to handle that process with the help of the professors. Something that really bugged me at times was the the use of inaccessible software like mm -hmm. Blackboard. I, mm -hmm. I found it frustrating that I was sitting in higher education course with my peers around me and I needed to ask for help to access a document in Blackboard, for example. I could do the work, no problem. I, I, I went into the classroom uh, ready to, to learn. I had read the chapter prior to getting there. I was ready for the exam or whatnot, but not being able to access that document in Blackboard was frustrating. It was, I wouldn't say humiliating, but it was hard for me to accept, okay, this is not acceptable. I need to ask my my peer who's sitting next to me to to open this file for me. You know? Yeah, I d I'm also working with Blackboard and that's what my college is doing right now for 
since it's the pandemic and a lot of things are online. Uh, a lot of my classes are online too. So I have to use Blackboard. And I remember, I think fairly recently, like maybe a week ago, uh, my teacher put in a quiz and apparently it was for week one. And then there was actually two quizzes. And then I thought it was one quiz. And that's what my reader scribe was doing at the SDS office for us, uh, for me specifically. She clicked on one and then we didn't know that there was a second quiz. And I guess I missed it. And I guess that's one, I guess, I don't know, one aspect that, you know, Blackboard is not, you know, clear to uh, blind or visually impaired people because like some of the features on there is are definitely, I can see, that it's not really accessible for us, but. Uh, and I can tell you that it yeah. has improved. I finished my bachelor's back in 2014, and then I returned back to college in 2018. And those few years, it did improve. It works better if you use Mozilla Firefox rather than Internet Explorer, but it's still not fully accessible. Yeah, there is definitely room for improvement for them. And um, something I'm really interested about is, uh, do you mind sharing to, I guess, the listeners, what's your level of uh, visual impairment? I'm completely blind. I was 11 years old when I was driving a four-wheeler. It flipped and it landed on my face. So I have my face, but the the structure of the bones has been broken and my eyes went with it. Gotcha. Okay. So it was like more of a physical thing that like... Yeah, it was a physical impact that caused my blindness. Gotcha. So like what are some ways that you've like coped with it as in uh, ways to help you around? So did you have to learn Braille? I was in the fifth grade, and at that time, I was a quite poor student. Uh, my grades were embarrassing. Uh, and when I lost my vision, I arrived home after a few months of being at the hospital, and I started receiving visitors from the school district and from the state, um, a blind children specialist who provided support to my parents um, so that they could deal with with the, the situation as well. That's important. And I started receiving everything from O&M, VI services, therapies, nurses, and home, homebound education. And all that started you know, in one day, one day wow. where everyone came and visited one after the other and and told me, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm going to be <laughs> your therapist. Hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm going to be your teacher. <laughs> so th that was pretty traumatic at the time, but it helped me continue moving. They didn't let me sit on the couch and, you know, they didn't let me go into depression. Gotcha. 
So yeah. uh, for the listeners, OMM means orientation and mobility. So it just helps you navigate through uh, mm-hmm. just walking and stuff. And, yeah. and for me personally, I actually, actually became blind fairly recently, which was two, yeah, about two years ago. And it was during 11th grade. So I completely, I wouldn't say I completely know, but I understand what's it like when everybody's like introducing themselves saying like, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm your VI instructor. And hi, I'm the OM instructor. And like all these people just coming on you. I and mean, I was at that point, I was just like in a state where I just basically expected change every single day. And, you know, I didn't really care as much, I would say, because since there was so much change, it was impossible to really sit down and think about it. So I was in that mindset where, you know, there's something to be, there's something interesting every single day. So just got to expect that. And that's when they gave me my first pain. That's when they started teaching me Braille. And it, it was a way of passing time because I wasn't going to school. So rather than doing nothing, uh, I started, you know, practicing whatever they were teaching me. That's great. Uh, since I became blind two year, about two years ago, I haven't really delved into Braille yet. Uh, since I still have some visual vision. Why not? I mean, uh, it's just because uh, I was in the IB program. It's uh, it stands for International Baccalaureate, and basically, it's a program that's like global. And the nature of it is really rigorous. So uh, I felt like the time that was spent. I of course I know that learning Braille is a very essential skill to have. But like at the time, I made a decision where if I spent time on Braille, it was basically uh, cut into my academics. So I rather use the residual vision I had to do it rather than like spend time on it and then sacrifice um, the goal of having an international baccalaureate diploma, which I really wanted. So at the end, I did get it, but I guess it was a lot of work basically but i've been trying to learn braille more recently putting in more time because i see the benefit of it and after also talking to a lot of blind people so what is your stance on braille i'm an educator so i believe that braille is our literary way of learning um i work with children so um I'm a fervent believer in Braille uh, when they need it, right? So an evaluation needs to happen so that we can learn whether they need Braille or not. If they don't need it, that's okay. They can use large print. But large print becomes useless when the font is over 22, 24 size. That's almost, that's almost an inch. And that's no, not not a functional tool at that point. So I I do believe that Braille is important. Um, even for you, your college books, but in the future you can use it for organization purposes, you know, functional ways 
perhaps not really a novel, but marking and labeling items in your kitchen or in your household. Yeah, I, I definitely see the uh, benefits of learning Braille, and it is something that I'm really looking forward to. And when you said that you work with children and you're working in a uh, special educational field, uh, what is something that you really have realized working with people with disability? Having high expectations for people is important and helping the parents elevate those expectations is crucial because if they don't expect much from their children, whatever disability they may have, that child's not going to develop important skills. And I find it very important when I work with them to elevate those expectations, to demonstrate to them what their children are going to be able to do in the future. But they need to realize that they won't be able to do it if we don't expect them to do those things since right now, you know. Um, actually, I, I wrote a, an article recently, it was published in a magazine for parents and blindness-related professionals regarding mentoring. And it basically states that, you know, I'm always being asked, how can my child gain independent skills? And they want a simple answer. They want to hear, do this and this, and your child is going to be independent by tomorrow. And that's not the case. They need to learn alternative skills to gain those independent skills. Mm -hmm. And one way to do that is to start with age-appropriate activities. I'm, I'm not going to expect an adult who's blind to be able to cook if that person as a child wasn't expected to throw his trash away or to, to put his plate and cup in the sink. You know, not even wash it at that, at that point. If a four-year-old can pick up their plate and their cup and put it in the, in the sink, that's perfect. I'll expect them to wash their plate and, and cup when they're you know, 10, 12 years old, perhaps. And that way they're going to be able to cook because they're going to be familiarized with the environment and the kitchen and the sink and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, being very conscious about what each age group, I guess, can do and what... Uh, they're expected of at the same time like giving them high expectations at the same time is mm -hmm. really important I guess for the development of uh, the person in that specific age group and I definitely agree with you on uh, having a certain level of expectation for uh, children or any people in general that, who, who are blind or visually impaired because uh, I feel like uh, I really agree with uh, a person at the Louisiana School of the Blind said uh, his name is Eric Gullery, I believe. And he said that, yeah. you know him? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really agree with what he said about 
definitely trying to strive for, um, I guess, more opportunities for blind people, but at the same time, holding a higher uh, responsibility for that. And definitely being conscious of both responsibility with the equal access to opportunities is a way to, you know, further the opportunities for blind people because I feel like it's really limited right now in terms of what we can do. Yes, higher higher expectations are going to be developed by having responsibilities. I'm not going to tell a parent or, or someone who's blind, hey, you can do this and expect them to know that they can do it to, to elevate their expectations. That's not how it works. We elevate someone's expectations by giving them responsibilities, allow them, allowing them to work through those responsibilities. And they might fail in, in, in not you know, completing the, the task or they might be successful in completing the task. And every time they're successful, that expectation is going to go higher and their abilities are going to increase. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess we can switch it up, go a little bit more light now. Uh, what are your hobbies now? Like when you're bored, like what are your go-to things? I recently joined a club, an art club, and it's virtual. Mm. Uh, last month we did um, modeling with clay. That was Ooh. pretty cool, pretty mellow. <laughs> I liked it because it was quiet in the conference call and everyone got to share their projects, things like that. On uh, Tuesday, which is the next meeting, they're going to be doing sculptures out of paper mache and you know, they give you the, the materials, they give you instructions. They don't exactly tell you what to model or structure. Um, for example, I'm gonna do a, a piñata on, on Tuesday, you know, entertain myself. <laughs> I, I, I keep myself way too busy with formal things that simple things like that, mellow things are helping me relax, you know? Um, I do a lot of music. Um, my main instrument is the guitar. Uh, I play at church every Sunday, but no, I don't leave my guitar anywhere. I travel with it. Um, if I'm going to the store in the car, I, I take it on the right. No, and then I play other instruments. Um, I'm currently taking uh, drum lessons with a, with a teacher. I've always played the drums, but I had never received formal instruction other than, you know, band at middle school. Oh, so you were part of the band during middle school? Yes. I, I played I play the snare drum. Oh, okay. Play. I played clarinet. I still play clarinet now, uh, even cool. still college. Yeah, I love playing the clarinet. I always thought like during band class when we were in band, the person playing the snare was kind of like the captain of the whole percussion, you know, it's like the cool kid playing the snare. Yeah, and 
mainly I liked it quite a bit when when it came down to the cadences and and the parades, you know, doing our own drum cadence. It's, it's pretty cool. It's a club within a club uh, because we would you know, make good friendships. I still have friendships from those years. And it's actually uh, on Friday, I had good memories. My nephew, who's going to the same middle school that I went to, uh, just got accepted to to the to the percussion group in the same wow. middle school, awesome. and I gave him my my practice pad and a pair of sticks, and I dropped him off in the morning and in the evening when we went for dinner at his house. Uh, I I was talking to him about his experience during during the tryouts. And, uh, awesome. you know, he's pretty excited, and I'm looking forward to going with him to to Guitar Center and selecting the snare drum. That's very cool. Like, uh, I really want to learn the guitar, but it's just, like, really hard. I have really short fingers, too, so, like, certain uh, string crossings or, like, placements on the guitar is just really difficult for me. But I'm sure, like, guitar is such a it's it's the instrument to go to if you were to you know be casual about it right so what is your mode of transportation so how do you get around at the moment i use family members friends my girlfriend and that's about it and that's when i go out i'm staying in home as much as possible uh-huh so yeah, that's the main way to travel here. Public transportation is basically non-existent. Huh. In order for me to get to the bus station, I can get there, but there's nowhere to go. <laughs> uh. um, well, actually, I can get to the Pizza Hut. It's about 40 minute drive. I've explored quite a few drop uh, bus stations and there's really nothing where I could go to a store or to the doctor. Things like that is it's not it's not a good way to travel using the bus. Here. Yeah. So, uh, where you live is it like close to San Antonio or it, uh, like Rio Grande Valley? Is, I'm not really sure. Where is that exactly? The Rio Grande Valley is. A cluster of counties, Cameron, Hidalgo, and Star. And it's about you're in Houston, right? No, I I actually am from Plano, but now I'm going to college okay. at Texas Tech. Ah, okay, cool. Um, it's all the way south from wherever you are. It's all the way south in, in a border town with Mexico, uh-huh. and yeah, it's, it's by South Padre Island. Um, some of the bigger cities are McAllen, Harlingen, Brownsville. And the population is uh, primarily Hispanics. Mm-hmm. And we live in a border town, so most of our culture is Mexican. 
I'm sure I can get some really great food down there. Like, I don't know. What what are some good food that you can find in the uh, Rio Grande Valley? Um, well, tacos and things like that. And that's good. But if, if someone's coming to visit uh, and they want Mexican food, because that, that's what we can get here in the Rio Grande Valley, uh, I found it very entertaining and, and very pleasing <laughs> to take friends to to Mexico across the border and, and have have food from the motherland. And they've had a blast and I've had a blast being a tour guide for them, um, taking them to different plazas and different environments where they can enjoy um, the delicious food and, and drinks from Mexico. Awesome. From like, the Argentina, it's basically yeah. Tex-Mex, but it's, you know, Mexican food as well. That's, that's really, I, I'm craving some Mexican food now. <laughs> but what's it like going down to Mexico? I've never been to Mexico. It's, it's quite different than, than living here in the U.S. Uh, I have a house over there and, and I enjoy it, but I, I don't go out very much. Um, for safety reasons, I guess. Uh, I definitely go to restaurants. And no one's gonna stop me from from going and eating. Um, I enjoy going to the movie theater with my girlfriend, and their concession stands and they're much bigger than the ones here in the U.S. and much much cheaper than what I've paid here in the U.S. Literally going there, it's you know, three times less expensive than what it costs here in the U.S. Um, three times cheaper over there. Yeah. Wow. But, yeah, it's good. They, they don't have audio description, but um, I don't really use it when when they have it because when I asked for it here in the U.S., they gave me the wrong track and so forth. So I just don't bother with it anymore. Um, but yeah, it's, it's enjoyable. I like the people and hanging out in Mexico. Yeah, it's definitely a different culture down there. Uh, I feel like my grasp on the Mexican culture is always through movies, how they depict like cartels, and I'm sure they're dangerous down there. But I feel like Mex Mexico in general, like the people are really friendly down there. Is that right? Yeah, there's danger everywhere. There's cartels everywhere. And you don't mess with them, they won't mess with you. Um, that's part of knowing where you are, being conscious of, of what you're doing. Um, that's why I'm not going to be outside in the street at midnight, you know. Um, but yeah, being street smart, that's important. Yeah, even though I guess we're both flying, we still ha have that spidey sense of, you know, sense of danger. I'm yeah. sure. That, that's an interesting topic. Blind is over there in Mexico. I have many friends who live there. Uh, unfortunately, their their policies regarding disabilities, well, they're way behind. They are working. And, and you know, I guess getting their 
they're right. Every six years, they they need to start back over with their special education laws and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, right now, you know, their special education services are lacking quite a bit, especially because of the pandemic. The U.S. is not doing much better, but at least we have the laws that are protecting the rights of people with disabilities. Yeah. So why do you think it's the case in Mexico and they're way far behind compared to the U.S., for example, and other parts in the world? Is it something Um, to do with politics mostly or it's just the culture? it, it, It has to do a lot with politics. It has to do a lot with expectations. What we were talking about earlier, if we don't expect people with disabilities to, to be independent, we're not going to be pushing for them to gain independence. And mm-hmm. when we push for their independence, we're working as well to get them the laws that they need in order to get an education, to get training, to get employment. So those things are missing. Um, I believe that they're also lacking advocacy movements. Um, They haven't found a good way to get together, to unite and Mm. push for independence. Everyone's pulling, but they're pulling in, in different directions. Gotcha. Yeah, politics is definitely a very messy. It's definitely a lot of different stuff, a lot of moving parts that go behind politics. And often or not, it becomes really uh, messy and then corrupt at some time. So um, I guess we can uh, go to an even more lighter topic. Uh, You mentioned how your friends help you out to travel to different places and uh, I guess your girlfriend specifically helping you out to, you know, go to movies or uh, driving you to specific places or bring you out to other, I don't know, restaurants, for example. So what is the importance of having friends? I guess uh, it seems kind of like a stupid question, but I feel like it's also kind of important question. Well, it's important to be able to socialize. Like I said before, I still have friends from then. I, I lost my vision when I was 11 years old in fifth grade. Uh-huh. I, I don't have any of those friends anymore. Uh, they they couldn't handle my blindness. And because of my situation, I didn't reach out either. Mm-hmm. So it, was, it wasn't like they left me or anything like that. It was a situation where they didn't know how to react because their friend was blind now. And mm-hmm. I didn't know how to react at the time. So when I was in seventh grade, when my health teacher, Mr. Lopez, he, he said, hey, Daniel's not doing anything. Um, he needs to be involved. I want him to be with me when I'm coaching. So I became the assistant coach mm. for all sports, for football, soccer, and track, all athletics. And this was in middle school. No, I wasn't able to play the sport that would have been too dangerous because of my health at the time but I was definitely part of the team and I wasn't there just 
slimmed down. I was moving, and you know, if the students were late, you know, they would come to me, and I would make them do their laps, and I would lead them to their warm-ups and things like that. That experience was valuable in seventh and eighth grade because once I went to middle to high school, you know, high school is rougher. You're walking around with a cane, hitting people in the legs from behind. <laughs> they turn around and they start, they want to you know, push you back because you touch them or whatever. And I, I never went through bullying because. My friends were, you know, football players. They mm. would calm them down and move back, get away, you know, stuff like that. Mm. Sometimes a little bit rougher, but I was never concerned for for bullying, and I would get along with everyone. Um, I was never someone who who went out to parties because yeah. of my personality, but I was always involved in something. And just like I learned in, in middle school to be involved with band and sports in, in high school, I joined programs like the FCCLA, National Honor Society, um, volunteer groups, things like that, Estudiantina. That's where I started learning how to play the guitar as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I found people to to be around me and and make friends. You know? Yeah, having friends is uh, really important, especially being uh, blind. Because um, from my experience, it's definitely a lot, uh, a lot of mental, I guess, juggling or just mentally, it's a lot. Um, yeah. Knowing that you're getting watched, uh, people seeing you walking around with a cane and then you start to have thoughts of other, what other people think about you, but often or not, it's not the case, but you still think you're really self-conscious at the end of the day, walking around with a cane. And I definitely get that a lot too with walking around with a cane. I, I was pretty self-conscious, but I was self-conscious where to the point that I wanted to be independent with my cane so I would use it more. And rather than taking an arm, unless unless it was a girl, so uh, I would <laughs> use my cane, right? And yeah. I would get to wherever I needed to go. Uh, a lot of people with disabilities burn their friends out because their friends feel that they're expected to guide them, to do things for them, and, and that's not a friendship. That's a duty for for people, you know, and and mm-hmm. being independent and being able to, you know, get to wherever I was getting to, or do whatever I needed to do, rather than asking a friend to do it for me, was important. Yeah, I often think about it too because I sometimes think that I'm relying on my friends too much. That's certain points like reading me stuff or guiding me to certain places like I often feel like um, I'm burdening like at some points like burdening my my friends rather than being a friend to them and I guess one way I've been trying to compensate for it in some sort of way is to 
uh, I guess do nice things to them or like help them out whenever I could. Uh, if I had knowledge in this particular field, I can like share with them or help them out in any sort of way so that I could basically in a way uh, give back. And yeah, there's nothing wrong with asking for help. Uh, that's totally normal um, in a friendship. But it's normal to give and take, and take and give, you know, and it's both ways. I guess like I've had a I've had conversations with uh, some of the friends I made in college, and we I had a really deep conversation with one of them, and then uh, we were talking about how um, the way that I've how I de- dealt with my blindness. It's really I guess. I guess it's really inspiring to them, but often or not, I feel like uh, there's like a struggle between people putting you on a pedestal versus I don't think they're really putting me, I'm still thinking about it. And I'm sure like you can help me out on this because they definitely see that me as an inspiration, able to, for example, go to college in the first place or um, really not being depressed about like me being blind and you know being nice and having like a really uh open and positive attitude so they've been really uh fascinated by that and that's why i guess i've been uh a really good friend to them and i've been really thinking a lot about it because i'm not sure if that's a way that people put you on a pedestal because there is a thing where uh, people often like, for example, like if you did a, a blind person did a really significant or made an accomplishment in some sort of way, people would say, wow, you did it because you're blind or something like that. And I definitely mm-hmm. don't want that to be the case. So what are your thoughts? Have you ever heard, have you ever heard of the term inspirational form? Inspirational form? Form, P-O-R-N. Porn. No, I haven't heard of that. Like pornography porn. Oh, 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 oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I haven't well, heard that, of it, but now I heard yeah, it. So, <laughs> there's nothing. To, don't get me that was not nothing to do with sex, but inspirational porn is exactly what you're talking about. Where there's nothing significant from from someone going going to college, you know, if you are a high school graduate and you're in college, that's mm-hmm. perfectly normal. It's no, no more special just because you're blind. And like you mentioned, they feel inspired by you. So there's nothing wrong with that. However, they need to realize that whether you were blind or not, you're in college because that's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And that that's part of your life. You're, you're there because you study. You're not there because you're blind. You're there because you, you study and you're prepared to go to college. You know, um, inspirational porn could be viewed, like you mentioned, doing a simple thing and people praising you for, for doing that thing when it's just a simple thing that Everyone does every day, you know, and just because you're blind and you did it, it doesn't mean that 
that is natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went through it when when I was in, in my studies. Um, in, in high school, I graduated with honors. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were going on and on that I was inspirational mm-hmm. because I graduated with honors. You know, pretty pretty high in, in my high school class. But that didn't mean much because they were praising the wrong thing. They were praising me for being blind rather than for, for killing myself studying, spending hours after school doing my work which were part of my responsibilities. So mm-hmm. if, I, if, it, if I hadn't spent time doing my homework, doing projects and so forth, I, I wouldn't have graduated with, with honors. Um, and that, that was my mentality at the time, and it's still my mentality right now. Um, if you're blind or not, it doesn't really matter. I have high expectations for you mm-hmm. or for everyone. And it all depends on what choices they they do in life. I know people of all levels, you know, we're not going to put them in the ladder or not or, or something like that. But if someone goes to college and someone doesn't, it doesn't mean that one person is better than the other. It's just that they've taken different routes in life. Yeah. I like what you said and how you put it, uh, inspiration porn. <laughs> That's a first for me. There's a TED talk about inspirational porn. I'll send it to you. Gotcha. You can listen to it. It'll be definitely a good listen. Um, yeah, like having friends is really important. And also, uh, we really, I guess you really, uh, we, we both really talked about that attention thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I know that, like, for example, like what we just said, like high school and then afterwards going to college, that's a normal thing. And, and how people like praise the wrong thing. But like, I get this sometimes, like, I don't know if it's the case for you, but when they're praising you, it's like you get some sort of attention. And sometimes it feels good to have that attention. But you know that at the same time, you know that they're praising the wrong thing. Yeah, it feels good. <laughs> it feels good. And I wouldn't push your friends away if they're doing it because they're good people. But I would demonstrate that I'm being successful because I'm putting an effort into it. You know, there's nothing wrong with good and praise. Uh, it's going to feel awkward at times, honestly. I, I felt awkward at times receiving that kind of praise. And I wasn't rude about it. Um, that's their way of thinking. But I continue going on my way, you know, doing what I have to do. Uh, I guess what is one thing that you're really passionate about uh, that you think you can make a difference in or just something in general you're passionate about? I'm passionate about mentoring because I learn from, from mentors. And I've had mentees of my own. Mm-hmm. So I see the value on that, you know, where I've learned from others. And if someone can learn from me, that's great. Um, I'm, I'm glad to help and teach and educate uh, whenever possible. So that's a big part of, of what I do.
I do it for fun and I do it because I, I love it. Yeah, I definitely think that mentors is really important for uh, just for the growth of the mentor and the mentee. Because I guess if you look back in history, you see that, uh, like, for example, the medieval times are uh, just people having some sort of trade. Like, let's say a blacksmith, they would have an apprentice that learns under the master, the master blacksmith. And that's how they pick up the skills to, you know, go forth. So I guess since a really, really, really long time, it's been always uh, learning from a mentor. And I feel like nowadays how the educational system is set up, I feel like it's more, it's not as one-on-one type of case. It's more one teacher for like a lot of students and often or not, you lose the that connection that you would have with uh, a mentor or learning. Just basically one teacher and a one student type of thing. And especially within the blind community, I feel like having mentorship happening within is really important. And what have you seen that has been really, I guess, a good result of having mentorship within the blind community? I am a member of the National Federation of the Blind. I joined when I was 17 years old. And I joined through the mentoring program here in Texas. Mm -hmm. I met adults who were independent, who are now my friends. I was sitting in a conference room and I listened to a presentation by two people. Their first name is Angela. Mm-hmm. And one of them was a, was an educator in, in college and the other an educator in early childhood. After that presentation, I realized that I could be an educator myself. So I was about 18 years old. I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. Um, in that, in that presentation, I, I realized that, hey, that's an opportunity for me. I could be an educator. Um, I had a lot of questions. I was able to contact them and ask them, hey, how can I do it? Where do I need to, where, where do I need to go? What do I need to learn in order to prepare myself? And, and they became my mentors. Um, now, I've had many mentors in life. For example, in my master's degree program, the program director became my mentor, where you know she was always behind me, not not asking me to do things, but just providing support. You know, I, I was mm-hmm. able to go with her and, and ask questions of of things I had questions about. You know. Mm-hmm. When I was doubting myself, I was able to go go to Dr. Ward and ask for help, and that was of great importance. You had Salvador Villa here a few weeks back. He was my mentee. When I met Salvador, he was young, and he had a big head. <laughs> he uh-huh. won't mind me saying it, but he had a huge head, where <laughs> where he thought he was all that. And yeah, he was a pretty cool guy, but everyone was telling him that he was inspirational. 
and it was going to his head, you know. Uh-huh. And I worked with him a lot and and telling him and demonstrating to him that hey, you're a pretty cool guy, but you need to develop independent skills. You need to develop travel skills mm-hmm. so that you can you know, be be successful in life. That is a really good, uh, I guess, how the result of having a mentorship is, you know, being able to uh, guide your mentees and at the same time, uh, giving them really useful feedback is, I always see like a really positive aspect of mentoring. And I've been asking you a lot of questions throughout this podcast and I was wondering if you had any questions for me specifically, you know, anything about uh, why I created this podcast or anything in general. I heard the responses for those kind of questions. Uh, I was wondering in your case, because you you went blind just recently, a couple of years back, what's your outlook in in relationships? Do you think it's harder now that you're blind? You know, it's hard for everyone to to find a relationship. But are you talking? How do you see that? Yeah, are you talking like a, more of yeah, long like a girlfriend, boyfriend, anything like oh. that? Oh, uh, <laughs> okay. It's what? getting more spicy now. Um, yeah. <laughs> um. Hmm. Well, <laughs> I don't really. Uh. Well, during high school, I was more focused on academics since it was such a rigorous program. With the IB program, I didn't really um, like the result of that was I didn't really socialize a lot. Like all the time I had, like lunch breaks, whatever breaks I had, was just devoted to going down to a little room and then taking my test quizzes or as essays. And it was like certainly really, really mentally draining and also like terrible for your social life. But you know, I really, really wanted it. So as in now at college. Um, I would say since, uh, I'm not completely blind, I could still tell body language fairly well. Um, I've learned to, you know, read body language better. Um, definitely, you know, how, like, I guess compared to me not being blind, uh, I use my eyes to flirt a lot, I guess, but now since I can't, I don't know what people uh, like where their eyes are looking at since I can't really see their faces or tell details on their faces. I can't really use that. So I guess it's more like more talking now. <laughs> it's, it's, I sound so corny and cringy right now. But... That's all right. It's a, a tricky question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a curveball. Uh, yeah, so I would say I'm not. I'm I'm single. Uh, I'm not about to say I'm re- ready to mingle, but I'm single, and I don't know. I I think being you know establishing a good routine for the first semester in college before you know getting into any of those relationships, that sort of stuff, is really important. I feel like because you know at the end of the day, I came to college to study, right, to further my career, do what I want. So if I were to you know, too early, or just mess up all my habits, form bad habits, and then, you know, go out and socialize way too much. I mean, 
right now is not the best time to go out and socialize in the first place <laughs> with the pandemic. But if I were to create bad habits in my first semester, I feel like it's going to be really detrimental towards what I really want to do. And I mean, second semester, maybe, maybe, but definitely second, second year, maybe more, more likely, I would say. Okay. Yeah. That, that was a good response. But yeah, and definitely going back to friendship, someone on social media was asking, well, they're blind and they feel disappointed because even though they're cute, even though they're independent, they feel that blindness is holding them back. They, they don't understand why people are not approaching them. And mm. my comment was, you know, I don't understand the mindset of wanting to date a stranger. So why not make friends? Make friends, socialize with them, and find out whether well, there's a relationship that can develop from there. Um, but yeah, um, I asked a question because I remembered that <laughs> that post from from a blindness related group. Um, and many people who are blind have difficulties maybe making friends. Um, and sometimes in school, sometimes in other other worries that they may have. But yeah. Yeah, like all the friends I made so far in college was just a, di- a direct result of me going out and putting myself out there. So uh, going back to what you said, like the post you saw on social media, how like the person was kind of depressed that they didn't have any, or they felt like people are not approaching you. I feel like you get, oftentimes, uh, of course, nobody's going to want to approach a stranger. And especially when, whenever you're really different, like walking around with a cane. So if you were to go up to them and then introduce yourself in the first place, I feel like they're way, way more welcoming. And uh, I wouldn't have thought that I would have the friends I had in the first place or, you know, anticipate it uh, before college because the friends I have now, I really, really, really like them to death. Like they're really, it's a really good mixture of really different personalities. And it's just a really good friend group. But it was a direct result of me going out there, putting myself out there. And that is definitely a thing that I guess I preach to anybody like if you want something you gotta you know p- challenge yourself put yourself out there even though it's a little bit uncomfortable so uh, right now I'm, I'm looking for a job i'm applying i've had an interview already the interview went great yeah but once we touched the topic of blindness it became kind of awkward you know mm-hmm. uh, the position requires the worker to, to drive so they asked do you drive <laughs> and, and I had to come out and, well I'm blind and that was kind of obvious because there was a, a video conference I'm blind I am qualified to do the work and, and other experiences that I've had the agency has hired a driver when, when it has been necessary and the driver takes me from point A to point B and I do my work just just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm qualified. So I didn't get the job, but I'm 
I'm hoping that it wasn't because of blindness, that it wasn't mm -hmm. a rejection of discrimination. Um, my, my, my resume is impressive for, for that position, uh, but I didn't get the job. I'm, I'm moving on just like anything else. And I have two or three other applications that I'm working on that I've submitted that I'm waiting for, for a call back. But just like you, I'm putting myself out there, which is hard enough for everyone, right? Right now, but being, being able to put yourself out and say, hey, my name is Daniel Martinez, and I'm qualified to do this, and I happen to be blind. That's not always the easiest thing to do for, for people who are disabled. Yeah. So I feel like we're approaching the end of our conversation. Uh, you've shared so much wisdom throughout this podcast. I feel like you're definitely really qualified to become a special educational teacher in wherever you may land. So the best of luck to wherever you may go. And uh, do you have any final remarks? Thank you, Jesse. Um, I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of your podcast. I still have a couple to listen to that you've recorded. And I'm looking forward to the ones to come. It's great that you're interviewing people in, in the blindness community. And I'm looking forward to learning more from them as well and from you. Awesome. So that's going to be a wrap.